Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with the Texas Water Newsletter, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M University. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texaspluswater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Bothler, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal, as well as your host for Talk Plus Water. This is podcast number 15. My guest today is Dresden Ferran, Executive Vice President and CEO of the American Water Resources Association. Dresden, welcome and thank you for being part of Talk Plus Water. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. Um, I've been looking forward to our conversation. Well, great. And uh, I appreciate you hanging with me through all the technical challenges we've had today. What was your, what was your little saying again? My saying was that you have to have tech tolerance. You know, in the world where we have so much disruption around all the different technologies that people are using um, in all of their um, aspects of business, right, whether it's research or field work um, or just your day-to-day collaboration on a project, we have to understand and get to learn all the new technologies that are out there. And it can be a pain, but I think you've done a fabulous job. Oh, well, thank you. And I love, I'm going to remember tech tolerance because I have, t- I need tech tolerance about a dozen times a day, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Well, hey, listen, let's go ahead and start off our conversation about water. And um, why don't you tell me first about your background in water and how you became involved with water issues? Well, absolutely. Um, The surprising note here for some people um, listening is that I actually don't have a water background. Uh, My background is in association management. So I've been in this profession for about 18 years. Um, This is uh, also where I have my two degrees, which is in um, nonprofit management and public policy. So someone like me, an association management professional, we are all about becoming experts in how do you run um, and grow a successful association, society, or nonprofit. When we look at the function of management from finance to programs and services, memberships, member engagement, um, policy, advocacy, education, content creation, all of the different ways that an association must really work in concert um, using all of those components to make a really great member experience. And the board recognized that AWRA um, is entering into a new era, but the previous leadership had been there for more than three decades, and they wanted to bring on someone who could sort of lead them into the next iteration of this organization and what it's going to be and how it's going to serve our members. That is great. And, uh, you know, what's interesting to me is it's very different from what I've seen other water organizations do. You know, they, they get somebody who's been running a groundwater district or, or working for an environmental consulting firm or, you know, or working for, a, a, you know, an NGO and they ask them to run this, you know, water entity, water association, and they don't have experience in all the things that you just mentioned, which are really 
critical to, to making the, the organization a success. Absolutely. It's, it's certainly um, not unique for some associations, particularly smaller societies, to hire um, someone who is within the industry or within the field. But you're right, the drawbacks may be that they might obviously have an expertise um, uh, knowledge of the field and the industry that they've served or worked in or spent their career in. But the other aspects of management, particularly um, board governance, uh, looking at volunteer management, as you know, um, nonprofits and associations uh, deeply depend on the work of volunteers and committees. Um, and that's a whole philosophy for how you manage and work with volunteers. Um, also, uh, social media and integrating technology. Uh, one of the biggest things for associations right now to stay relevant is they have to start adopting new technologies. Um, and for years, uh, nonprofits and uh, associations have been very behind in that. You know, we don't have an Amazon.com. You know, we don't have streamlined technology. Um, but what we have are these sort of hoops that we have to jump through or connect together, and it can be very torturous for our members. And so hiring someone who understands what technology expectations members have today across the generations and a membership is really critical. I've been going through a crash course in uh, Trello and Zoom and Buffer and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And it's LinkedIn. And, and you know, it's, uh, I mean, just think about, you know, 10, 15 years ago or whatever, you know, you right. mentioned all that. Someone would say, what are you talking about? Why do you need to know those things to, to run an organization associated with water? Mm -hmm. So, Let's talk about uh, the American Water Resources Association. Why don't you why don't you tell us about the AWRA? Well, American Water Resources Association, um, called AWRA or ARA interchangeably, um, has been around for about fifty four years, and our key mission is to be recognized as the preeminent multidisciplinary association for information exchange, professional development, and education about water resources and related issues. A big part of our work is really the advancement of water resources in terms of research, planning, development, management, education. The education um, philosophy for us is really about um, how are we training up and building up the young professionals um, that are coming up through our different pipelines. And because we are multidisciplinary, we have um, members that are from all different kinds of backgrounds. Um, it could be physical, biological, social scientists, engineers, hydrologists, um, economists, academics. Um, we have a very, very diverse membership because we do truly believe that in order to solve um, these problems around water resources, that we have to draw from all the dis disciplines, taking all the considerations in order to create some of the best solutions. So our, our core value is really making sure that we are bringing and collecting all of the, that information together and then sort of the decimation of those ideas and information that's collected in the field. And, and we make sure that we're able to use our voice um, in our conferences and meetings and webinars as a way to disseminate that information and start a conversation. So how many members do you have? 
We currently have um, around 1,600 members um, that's uh, included in the United States and abroad. Um, in our members, uh, we, we have several different committees uh, that our members um, take part in um, in order to stay connected. If anyone would be interested in joining those committees at any time, um, our six are the Policy Technical Committee, which is a very popular committee. Um, they write a policy statement um, at least annually, and you can go online and see their policy statements that they've written. Um, they've been very well received. We also have our Technology Technical Committee, um, another really popular one in the ways that it's defining the role of technology in water resources by using comprehensive and collaborative approaches. We have our Future Risk Community, community um, uh, Integrated Water Resources Management, and Flowing Waters. Um, so all of our committees are established by members, um, and they generally work on projects together um, or papers together that can be shared with the larger um, community of water resource professionals. And so would you say that you have a, a, a distribution geographically of members out in the Western United States and in the Eastern and folks in, in the, the Midwest, or are you, are you more kind of concentrated in terms of membership on the coast? That is absolutely a great question. What many don't know about AWRA and we as an organization need to, to do better at is that we actually have a state section program. We have 22 state sections that range all the way from Utah to New Jersey um, to Alabama to Alaska. And all of our state sections are their own independent 501c3 organizations that have their own membership. They have their own programs and services. Um, they do their own marketing and communication, and they essentially run like an association um, that we are. So we can, we're kind of considered to be the headquarters, if you will, but really and truly, we have some associations that have been around maybe just two to three years after this headquarters were developed. I believe that would be the Florida chapter uh, or section. And I'm sorry, I use chapter and sections interchangeably because every association is different. Um, some associations call them chapters, AWRA calls them sections. I've had the privilege um, and really pleasure of getting an opportunity to travel to uh, two of our sections so far. I've been here a little less than a year. And then certainly being able to meet them at um, some of our 2019 conferences and meetings. These are an incredible group of leaders and volunteers who run these associations um, and uh, who serve on their board. Um, and a big part of what they try and do is some of the same things we try and do nationally, but at the local level. Um, a lot of them are tackling making sure that there are student chapters at the colleges and universities in their state, making sure that students have an opportunity to present their paper and their research and be mentored. 
Uh, many of them work on side projects um, to increase uh, diversity in women in, uh, in water resources profession. Um, these, these sections are really truly doing amazing work. So I can't tell you um, enough for your audience members, if you are in a state that has a section, you should please check out their work. You can go on our website, click on state section, and then there's a link to each of their websites. So do, would you like to have more state sections? Are you, are you recruiting for that or just as people like in a state say, hey, I'd like to, we'd like to create one here. They just contact uh, AWRA. Absolutely. We are currently working with Minnesota, um, who does not have a state section there, but I was contacted by a woman who was very active in the Washington state section, and she moved to Minnesota, where we actually have a national board member living, and the two of them got together, and we've been working for the best part of this year on creating a Minnesota chapter. We certainly want to welcome more chapters. Um, we also have the philosophy as, as, a, as, a, as a leadership, um, particularly speaking on the board's behalf, that we're not interested in having 54 chapter or sections just to have it. We're interested in quality. We're interested in having the right people at the table. Um, it is a big commitment. And so you have to be very passionate about the work that you're doing and really what is the contribution you want to make? What is the legacy um, that you want to leave behind as a leaders? Because every, every um, one of our section leaders are, are truly leaders uh, in, their, in their own right. They're doing absolutely incredible work for their profession. So let's move from uh, members to accomplishments. As you mentioned, AWRA has been around for a long time. What are some of the things that you uh, would consider the important accomplishments? We've had a long history of, of accomplishments. I will specifically talk um, to two that I think were, were very big undertaking um, undertakings for the board this year, and I think are really important to mention. We took AWRA virtual um, back in June of 2019. This was quite a huge decision, um, especially for some of our board members to sort of wrap their head around. But statistically, if you look at all of the research that's out there, even in the private sector, um, going virtual um, is really the, the newest trend in terms of let's reinvest our dollars into our products. Let's reinvest our dollars into our membership and our member experience. Let's reinvest our dollars into the services that we provide that are going to meet all of our members and not just the small few who tend to participate the most. And so if you look at the research, particularly with small associations, it doesn't make sense to have such a large overhead, um, particularly if you are an association that doesn't interact with your members every day, which we don't. Um, so for AWRA, it was a very big decision. They had been in the Middleburg, Virginia office for about 20 years. Um, but with all the technology tools that we have at our fingertips today, it has been an absolutely flawless um, um, implementation. We kept all of our same numbers. We use uh, a virtual management system um, in which we are always linked and connected. I could be in Fiji on a beach and you could call me at the office number and you never know. So there's, we don't lose anything in that experience. 
um, in the and now money. You want to call you, you know, some right. <laughs> some random time and say, okay, tell me, are you in Paris or where? Where are you? Yeah. Exactly. I, I, you know, I'm at the China conference that we had in September. You know, we we are the the not having that overhead cost. We have been able to do a lot more with our membership, and um, and we continue to think about how are we going to um, reassign those monies to do better for our members. And that to me is incredibly exciting. And I think that you know, for a lot of folks that are, you know are used to sitting in an office and showing up, you know, at eight to five, um, it can be hard to wrap your mind around. Um, but with technology today, you you don't need to have a brick and mortar. And so it was very brave that step that our board took. The second thing that we did is we're really looking on how we become more green, living in the green economy, if you will. And you have a lot of associations who um, are doing um, that type of work. So, uh, you know, in uh, making decisions based on, you know, their impact or. So one of the things that we did is we um, took impact, which is our um, magazine, we took that virtually um, or digitally, and that has been a great opportunity for us to really understand how do our members like to receive content, um, how, do, how often do they download it, um, what articles are interesting to them the most, because before we had it on a digital platform, we were actually weren't getting a lot of that feedback information that you would if you are not using a digital platform. So now we know so much more how off, how long they stay on certain articles. Um, we found out surprisingly most people are downloading um, our Impact Magazine on a Sunday. It's a, it's a leisurely read. Um, we we about sixty percent of people who download Impact are doing it on a digital device, not necessarily on their computer. So what does that really say um, about Impact and, and what the usage is like? So that's been a great opportunity for us to um, learn more about our patterns of our members and how and what content they like. So when uh, I was uh, able to help with the uh, July issue last year, of impact on Texas, you know, I understood that that was going to be the first one that was not a print issue. And right. uh, for me, that makes so much sense. The Texas Water Journal has always been, you know, an on- online publication and as Texas Plus Water has as well. And, you know, you, I, I used to carry around a big, almost suitcase full of things I needed to read. And it was really starting to hurt my back. And but now, so now I just have my iPad. You know, this probably have even more to read that I haven't gotten to yet. But um, uh, it's a that's a whole different world. Uh, if you you know, just twenty years ago, everything had to be uh, you know printed out, and and uh, now you know we we're just kind of like, uh, why do I need this copy of this thing? You know, I've right, right. Digitally. Yeah. It's you know it's that's been interesting that you say that too because I, I still feel like we're 
you know, it, it, we're kind of still in that battle, right, Todd? You know, if if we had some members who say, hey, I missed my paper copy, or it was always left on my coffee table, and my students would come and read it. So then there's that sort of word of mouth marketing that you, you may not get. Um, it certainly still has a forward function. But this, this really speaks to the larger issue that associations, especially small science associations that we're all still on a tight shoestring budget, we have got to make sure that we're building a robust technology framework, right? Because a common excuse is that, well, not all members use emerging technologies and not everyone, everyone's going to miss their paper copy, but association leadership, um, they can't be driven by the lower common denominator of the membership. They also have to be driven about what is the changing times that are occurring. And so if you only operate from that lowest common denominator, then you're not growing and you're getting further behind. Um, and that's not just me anecdotally saying that. That is what the research, um, frankly, indicates. Well, my goal is for the science community to have the resources that the legal and business community have someday so that we can, you know, splurge a little bit instead of we're always trying to do things on a shoestring budget. So let me ask you a little bit about advocacy. So you've got technical committees. Uh, the, the statements or the reports that they put out, or is that part of an advocacy mission as well? Do you interact with uh, Congress or state legislatures? You know, we, we don't because um, we are a 501c3. We are not a 501c6. Um, so we have lobby res restrictions. Um, our information certainly uh, and our reports um, that you can find online um, are certainly informative and educational where policymakers can uh, read them. Um, and we certainly try to send all of our information out to its, its highest you know, reach. Um, every now and again, we will sign a particular petition from a, a like partner. Um, and of course, that is our way of helping, you know, our network and, and our community and supporting their efforts. But we don't do any direct um, lobbying or advocacy. So in addition to the programs you mentioned, the publications, you have webinars and conferences and uh so tell me about those. Uh, the Texas War Journal is getting ready to start doing webinars. I, I did a webinar for y'all, um, mm -hmm. and I really enjoy that. And so tell me a bit of, a bit about your webinar program and your conferences, because I know you have a webinar coming up. I just got an email about it. You have a couple of them coming up. We do. In our webinars are... And I'm not just saying this because I'm, you know, I have to, or I'm partial, but they are incredibly popular and very, very well done. Uh, Michael Campana is our technical director. He is extremely well known. He's, he's just a hero to, um, in, in our community and, and really abroad. Um, there hasn't, I haven't met anyone this year, um, who does not know him by name. Um, he puts together a really, truly outstanding program. In January, when I started, we had a webinar, I think the second week of January, we had over 600 attendees in that one webinar. Wow. Yes. 
It's, and, and it's incredible. Um, our numbers are very, very strong. And I think it's, it, you know, it's certainly it's attributed to um, his work and the work of the board of directors um, who put their minds together. And they're really at the pulse of, um, you know, what research, you know, we need to bring out um, and speak about and what are hot topics, what are hot trends. Um, and so they do a lot in putting together a really, really good program. I would say if there's anyone who's interested in thinking about our membership and would like to test one out, uh, please uh, go ahead and email info at awra.org and we'd be happy to send you a free uh, version of one of our webinars by recording. Um, I will say if you don't join AWRA, a webinar is $25 a piece. But a membership at AWRA is 189 so and you get all 12 for free. So you do the math. For just a little bit more right. money, you could become a member and get all of those webinars. Um, I also think that we're going to be doing a lot more with webinars in terms of training. And that's sort of a door we haven't quite opened just yet. Um, when you think about membership... What's important for AWRA is that we are making sure that all of our members um, are, are accessing programs and services. So let me give you an example. Um, research indicates that the average organization commits about 80% of resources available um, to, to programs and services. 80% of, of, our, of our work is going to that. But oftentimes, it's only really serving about 20% of our members. So what we have to really think about is, um, you know, careful examination of the commitment of resources for each project in relationship to the number of members served. And we have to have sort of a rational um, framework um, that leads to, you know, how do we serve the majority of, of, of our members with the resources we have? Um, it's almost like making sure that we're providing the greatest service for the greatest number of, of members. And that's, that's a formula we haven't figured out yet, but that's where we're moving. And so when we look at our membership, and we literally have five generations on our membership, right, from, from baby boomers to Generation Z, which are the 18 and 22-year-olds right now in the market, we are not addressing all of their needs. Um, but we also have to realize as association professionals, you often can't do it all, right? Um, but there has to be a way that, that we address it. So we're hoping to kind of beef up a little bit our learning opportunities, um, particularly looking at leadership development, which has been a really big buzzword in our community, certainly hearing that at the section level when we talk to our section leaders. People want more aspirational leadership development and training um, and, and as, as a complement to their education, as a complement to um, their expertise and their training. So uh, two plugs here for previous podcasts. The the podcast uh, last month that features Sarah Schlesinger for the uh, Texas Water Foundation, they're starting a new water leadership program for Texas, and their first class is going to be this next year. And wow. that's a big focus for them. And Michael Campagna, of course, is uh, how I became connected with AWRA through um, the uh, July 
2019 impact issue on Texas water and the webinar I did on the Edwards offer. But, but uh, uh, he has also been on topless water. He was one of our, our, our first people. Uh, to do it. And so I always, always, you know, uh, appreciate, you know, people who are willing to give something new a try like that, because it's, it's hard to, to get people to say, well, sure, I'll come on your podcast, but I want to hear like four or five of them first. Uh, and there wasn't really anything uh, for the first people who did it to, to hear. So they just had to kind of trust me. So, Tell me about, uh, I want to hear about your conference in China because I was just in China uh, uh, two weeks ago uh, in Nanjing at Hohai University, at the, uh, the Water University at their law school and talking about transboundary water issues. And so what was your, your, your uh, conference in China about and, and what part, where was it in Beijing or, or someplace else? Yes, it was it was in Beijing and um, we actually had it in partnership um, with the, 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 let's see, the um, Chinese Academy of Science, um, which has been a tremendous partner. We've, we've been partnered with them for a couple of years. Um, the title of our conference was Water Security, looking at new technologies, strategies, policies um, and institutions. Um, so it, it was really an incredible opportunity for people um, to hear what research is happening from all over the world. Uh, we had, I want to say it was around over 180 participants, um, if I can remember that number off the top of my head. Um, we had um, a really good showing of student posters and presentations um, and a really fantastic field trip, um, which was basically the South to North Water Diversion Project. Ah. Um, we actually were able to partner um, with some of the folks down there and offer this field trip for free um, to be able to explore that. It's a multi-decade infrastructure mega project um, in the People's Republic of China. Um, I think it was something like 44.8 bill billion cubic meters of fresh water annually from the Yagzai River in southern China. Um, so it was just a really outstanding um, opportunity for people to take advantage of that field trip. You know, the, the Chinese Academy of Science is, um, they do incredible work. And um, we're thinking already about partnering with them again for another conference. That's just how successful it was. We typically, as an association, do have an international conference, you know, every two years um, has typically been the trend. So we're going to continue to do that work and continue to um, strengthen the relationships that we have with national partners. One thing that we've seen with JARA, which is our um, Journal of American Water Resources publication, that's also around 50 plus years old, is we are getting really in the highest um, percentage in the last couple years of international manuscripts um, submissions. Um, and we've got a significant amount from, from Asia um, as compared to the last couple of years. And I think that's really saying something about the work that we're doing and the presence that we do have when we have the opportunity to partner internationally. Ni hao. See, I'm, I'm ready for your next conference in China. I know one or two words in Chinese after my trip because everybody spoke English. So, right. Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, do you have international chapters yet or, or just you're doing the conferences in, in various places? Oh, that's such a good question. We do not have international um, sections yet. And, you know, I would think that if we did, we would start with, um, you know, probably our Canadian friends, perhaps. Um, and, um, but, you know, that that's a great question. And I think that um, there are certainly opportunities to develop that, that, particularly because we've had such long relationships with some of our international partners. Um, so yeah, it, that will that will be you know something that we'll have to think about in the next coming years. Well, if you also get interested in Mexico, uh, Texas with Water features a number of uh, Q and A interviews with with um, individuals from uh, Mexico and also the uh, two commissioners for the um, International Boundary and Waters Commission. So there's some. There's a plug. I just put it. That's called a plug. I just put a plug. That's called a plug. That's a great plug. I would, <laughs> I would love to learn more about that. That sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity. So what do you hear from your members uh, are kind of the big water issues they're trying to get ahead of that they see coming down the road that they're, they're thinking about? How do I get ahead of those? Any, any mm-hmm. themes in particular have emerged? Um, hmm. I haven't particularly heard of any, any things. I mean, I think climate change is a, is a, a big, a big one that I hear about, um, the green algae, um, and, um, some obstacles and issues with that. Um, it, honestly, it's so diverse between, um, what issues are because it sort of depends on where you're geographically located, right? And so when I travel to the different sections to experience their meetings, and then we've also had our uh, four meetings this year, it's it's just so diverse. I can't really pinpoint one theme. Um, I think, you know, and that's the other, you know, part about being from a multidisciplinary approach that um, you're going to have all the different voices at the table about what the exact priority should be. Um, and, and, and it's also about coming together and deciding on, on the consensus of that. Um, but for someone who's not a water professional, this has been an incredible learning opportunity for me because I didn't realize even the impact um, that, you know, things that I take for granted every day, there is an enormous amount of thought and process and research um, and project planning and, frankly, grant management and fighting for dollars at the agency level um, to make uh, sure that our environment is protected and our drinking water is clean um, and, and, and all of those pieces. And I think those are things that, you know, someone like me as a layperson, not in the water resource management profession, um, I just don't have a, a lot of information on. And I think that's also an interesting opportunity at the same time for us because associations, particularly small associations, we have a hard time telling our story um, and telling it well and screaming from the top of, of our lungs and in the trees. And and because we don't want to come across as sort of bragging or look look at me, but in reality, we do. Um, we do big work, right? Water resource right. professionals do big work, and our work matters. And we need to tell our stories better, and we need to tell our members' stories better because they are impactful and they are significant. I attended the uh, Baltimore conference last year, 
And uh, the day before that, uh, I, I held a workshop with Aaron Wolf. Actually, Aaron Wolf let me hold the workshop with him uh, talking about water disputes and, and uh, uh, mediation. And I went to the conference after that. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that you were talking about there that I love so much about the conference was that just the, the variety and diversity of issues, because I mean, it's, this is a massive oversimplification, but you know, if you're in Texas, you're talking about droughts and floods and now you're paying for the next water supply. I mean, that's, that's most of the conversation right now here. And okay. so you go to different parts of the country and, you know, like you say, they're talking about algae, um, um, algal blooms and they're talking about dam removal and right. you know much more discussion about climate change than, than we than we are having here uh, at the moment and so that's what that's one of the things I love about conferences and your conferences uh, in particular are a great way for somebody who wants to to really get a uh, you know variety of of issues in front of them get be able to sample them you know they can go to one of your conference and, and hear about a whole bunch of things that they wouldn't hear about otherwise staying at home so i i will absolutely agree with that i having attended my first um awra conference in november which was in salt lake um you know it's it for me that was it's just quite an incredible experience i started in january and um you know we're, I'm planning it and I'm leading up to this event that I frankly have never been at that, you know, all these people for so many years, for decades, really, um, uh, were very loyal members and partners and stakeholders um, from both the private and the public sector have attended this conference many, many times. And I'm sort of meeting with them and talking to them throughout the year. And then finally, I get to meet everyone. Um, and it was just such an incredible opportunity to see um not only that, you sort of the, the diversity within um, the information that's being exchanged, but also how the private and public, you know, academic practitioner, sort of how those big sectors all work together and the conversations that they have, I thought was, was incredibly interesting. Um, and then, you know, in part of that, then you have these sort of solution providers um, as our exhibitors and sponsors. One of the things that we did, I thought was that was very successful this year, is we actually took all the different set. We took some leaders from each sector of water resource management, whether it's like legal, consultant, government, academic, practitioner, you know, all the different uh, pieces, and we sort of broke them out between different tables, and then allowed our emerging leaders and students to come and interview folks um, for ten minutes before jumping to the next table, because often times when you're in school, you don't know, you know, what position um, or, or criteria for a position would make you happy. You're doing research, but, you know, do you want to be a teacher? Um, maybe I want to work in the field. Maybe I'd like to look at the legal um, um, or quality or equity aspects of water resource management. I mean, there's just so many layers, right? And um, I thought that even for me, you know, I'm kind of living and doing this work and learning this organization. It wasn't until I fully got to see that, that I was able to grasp just how many layers they are. And, um, and it's just incredibly exciting. It's just really wonderful to be a part of. That sounds like speed dating. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had some good dates. It was wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, what's what I love about that and what I like about your conferences is that, you know, we in the, the water uh, community, we tend to be in our silos a lot of times. There's the, mm-hmm. you know, engineering silo and the, the, you know, environmental scientists and the, uh, you know, legal silo and all that. And, and conferences are, are like you, say they're a great opportunity for cross-pollination and uh, for people to to uh, get out of their silo a little bit and and that benefits everyone so so I'm going to go to our last question um, okay. so how can uh, someone listening to our podcast today find out more about the AWRA what are what are the ways that that they can find out what you're doing and 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 Maybe Great. And, and, and come, come hang out and join people. First thing I would say is go to our website at www.awra.org um, and check out some of the events that are coming up with our conferences and webinars. Um, be looking for some additional offerings later in the spring um, as we think about some new, uh, new pro- programs that we're trying to launch. Um, like I said, we do have those technical committees, and we're always looking for people uh, who want to step up, do some research, partner, get involved, network. Um, these are really opportunities to make it your own. Um, you know, this isn't a top-down committee structure, and so we're just so open to making sure that um, we provide opportunities for people to really engage in the committees that makes the most sense for them or that they're most passionate about. I would say um, if you are in a state with a state section, please, please get involved with their work. They're doing incredible things. Um, I was at the Florida section um, annual or just one of their their summer meetings, actually, um, in August. Um, And they do a lot of really uh, great work engaging the young um, community and emerging leaders there. Um, So that if any time that you want to get involved with something locally and meet your peers and colleagues, or maybe you've just moved to a different state and you're starting a new position and you're already in your career, that's where you can find your people is really looking at at our state sections, as well as our student chapters, which we didn't talk a lot about, but if you are a student or an emerging leader, please check out our um, student chapters. We have 24 student chapters. Some are developing um, all the time. And uh, if you go on our website, you'll see all the the universities um, that that are on that page, and you can click on them to find out more information. Um, And I think probably lastly, um, if you'd like to um, just create a free account, um, you can log on and do that. Therefore, you will receive our newsletters, um, any updated information, um, any uh, anything that we're sharing about what's happening and, and water resources. We tend, we we put that out on our listserv, um, so that's a great opportunity to stay connected. Great, great. It's been so much fun talking with you today. Uh, I appreciate your techno tolerance. Uh, and we had, you know, I don't know, that happens with talkless water a lot. It seems like, you know, we get have kind of a mini rehearsal and then, you know, we start over. But uh, um, it went both. It went well both times, uh, I thought. Good. Um, well, I, 
enjoyed um, speaking with you today, and I appreciate all the um, all the work that you do um, with your publication and with this podcast. I think you you know you are engaging the audience um, in ways that is it's really quite critical, right? To have these conversations and to continually find connections um, between not only what we're doing in Texas but what we're doing around the United States and the world. And so, anytime that I can support your efforts um, in the mission of the work you do, by all means, please contact me. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I, I hope that there will be additional opportunities in the future for us to collaborate. Great. Me too. So this has been Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with Texas Plus Water newsletter, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. My guest today was Dresden Ferrand, Executive Vice President and CEO of the American Water Resources Association. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadow Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texaswisswater.org newsletter. My name is Todd Botler, the host of Talk Plus Water. Let's talk water again soon.